And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me in the studio today is the Reverend Mark Diedrich. Good to be here, Dan. And Dr. Hans Vogt. Thanks for having us. Well, Hans, whenever you're here in the studio, we know that it's going to be something related to history. And um, behind the scenes, uh, the other day, I got a phone call, and it was Hans Vogt on the phone reminding me that an important event was coming up in our nation's history. And with that, to whet our appetites, Hans, I'll let you take it away and tell us all what it is. Well, as you're probably aware, we've been commemorating the 150th anniversary of the Civil War, and July 1st to 3rd is the 150th anniversary of the key turning point battle in that war, which is the Battle of Gettysburg. Mm, yeah. and so I called you up and said, hey, why don't we do a show about that? <laughs> well, Gettysburg is, uh, I think, appreciated by a number of people. Uh, one of the reasons is some years ago there was a movie that came out by that very name, yeah. and it was quite right. a captivating movie. Yes. I, 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 I enjoyed that movie when it came out, and... Uh, I mean, Our kids were younger at the time. We watched it, I think, many times. Yeah, I thought it was very well done, considering so much went on. You really couldn't cover yeah. it all, but it did cover some of the yeah, yes, the, the things fairly well. I thought. And I think of a friend of ours who lives down the street, and I uh, almost wish he was here today too. Just that our room is so small, we can't fit everybody in here. That's um, Seward Osborne, and he's another mm-hmm. Civil War buff and has been down there at Gettysburg and placed uh, monuments and all of that. So Now, um, you might think, uh, just tuning in, and maybe you're driving on the road right now, and say, well, why do I care? You know, 150 years ago, um, I care about what I did five minutes ago. I just stopped at mm-hmm. Quick Check, and I got a coffee, and I've got a boss that's yelling at me, uh, come Monday, um, why do I care? 150 years ago. Can somebody help me on that? I think you care if you care about the nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is, um, we kind of, I think, lose track sometimes of what the Civil War was really about, but this was a revolution. This was an attempt by the southern states to create an independent nation, be a separate nation, a separate country, uh, and go their own way. Uh, and, of course, the the Union government, President Lincoln, was not willing to let that happen. Um, And so, you know, really the outcome of the battle in large part determines whether we're one nation today or we're Mm -hmm. two nations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would be uh, significant or maybe the nature of the nation that we would be today. You know, if if, uh, Gettysburg had gone much differently for the South, I think there would have been a very good chance that the... North would have quit hostilities at that point. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's all, you know, anybody's guess whether the two would have gotten back together again. Right. Uh, or if the, the 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 rift was so great that it would have just stayed that way and two nations would uh, continue to exist from there on forward. Dad's favorite saying is, history is what is, not what might have been. Exactly. Uh, but it's always yeah. fun to imagine the what might have been, <laughs> right. nevertheless. <laughs> Now, I see you have a book open there. You have uh, That looks like an older book. I'm looking over here at Hans. It, it is. This is uh, written by Bruce Catton. He wrote uh, a number of books on the Civil War, uh, and a Pulitzer Prize-winning historian. And this is from um, his Army of the Potomac trilogy. It's the second book called Glory Road. Mm. 
And uh, I just wanted to read a little brief passage from it because it kind of contrasts what you see today if you go down to Gettysburg, maybe on a family vacation or trip, uh, and how hard it is to imagine what actually took place there. So this is what Bruce Catton writes. One day they would make a park there with neat lawns and smooth black roadways, and there would be marble statues and bronze plaques to tell the story in bloodless prose. Silent cannon would rest behind grassy embankments, their wheels bolted down to concrete foundations, their malevolence wholly gone, and here and there birds would nest in the muzzles. In the museums and tourist-bait trinket shops, old bullets and broken buckles and twisted bayonets would repose under glass, with a rusty musket or so on the wall, with little illustrated booklets lying on top of the counter. The town and the woods and the ridges and hills would become a national shrine, filled with romantic memories, which are in themselves a kind of forgetting. And visitors would stand by the clump of trees and look off to the west and see nothing but the rolling fields and the quiet groves and the great blue bank of the mountains. And I really like that passage besides the beautiful prose because, you know, what Catton is saying is when you go there now, uh, it's also peaceful. It's easy to get swept up in nostalgia. Mm. And it's hard to remember how horrible those three days in early July were Mm -hmm. 150 years Mm -hmm. ago and how many men lost their lives on those green fields and Mm -hmm. and rolling hills. Yes. Yeah. I I seem to recall... Um, some time ago, Seward was telling us that um, the weapons had advanced, but the techniques of warfare had not, and so the carnage was that much worse because of that. That's right. The you know infantry tactics have been developed in the age of smoothbore muskets, yeah, which did not have a very long effective range, mm-hmm. uh, and so the infantry charge, uh, like Pickett's famous charge in the third day of battle, made sense in the days of smoothbore muskets. With the introduction of the rifle, it meant basically unmitigated slaughter. And that's what happened. It it was. was There was a huge... And that probably was, in the small weapons, was the biggest difference between, say, the American Revolution. Well, we had cannon... In the American Revolution, we have cannon in the Civil War. But the, the smoothbore musket, flintlock musket, was quite a bit different. And as Hans says, it's, the range changed. And because of that, you had a number of different things that really changed. In the American Revolution, for example, you had about 200-yard range for the guy with a Pennsylvania rifle. For the regular muskets, you jerk the trigger and let the volley go down, hoping something would hit something. Exactly. That's, I mean, and and the muskets are what won the American Revolution. Hmm. Uh, our, our Pennsylvania and Kentucky rifles, um, yeah, they helped, but they, they weren't the things that really won it. When it comes to the Civil War, a Scottish Presbyterian minister by the name of Alexander Forsyth had invented this thing called a percussion cap. Well, with the percussion cap, what that did was it put the, the fire so it was almost instantaneous. Mm-hmm. With a flintlock, you were like click, foot. Boom. Oh, yeah, right. You know, and because of that, your effective range was quite a bit, accuracy was quite a bit less. Mm-hmm. What happens with a percussion cap and then also with a mini ball, in other words, a conical ball now, not a round ball, a conical ball with an opening in the back. So when the powder charge hits it, it expands and grabs the rifling. 
Now you can load this thing quickly because it doesn't. It slides down the barrel. It's it's tight, but when the fire, it expands against the barrel, and it comes out spinning. Yes, uh, okay. with a good spiral like a football, and that makes for much more accuracy. Consequently, we have a phenomenon in the Civil War that was not quite as much, and that was called a sharpshooter. And we had sharpshooters who could shoot 500 yards. Oh, my. And uh, and that played in big wow. in uh, the Battle of Gettysburg because key generals fell. Mm. Yes, right, right. Well, we need to take a short break. <laughs> Today we're talking about Gettysburg. It is the 150th anniversary of that uh, tremendous deciding battle in American history. In the studio with me today, the Reverend Mark Diedrich and Dr. Hans Vogt. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Sunrise found Lee's army heading to the north, searching out the enemy in blue. Columns of gray rebels moving down the dusty lane. The road to mighty Gettysburg where only death remains. Slowly the two armies took the measure of their foes Gauging strengths and weaknesses to deal their slashing blows And Longstreet's daring battles only set the final stage Where armies of the blue and gray would scream their final rage We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, Our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. And sometimes if you listen... You can hear them wail and moan Sons of blue and sons of gray Cry till early dawn Brothers killing brothers Casts a spell that never ends Both still proud Americans Now arm in arm again What was Lincoln wondering As he gazed across the land Where armies of the blue and gray had made their final stand The tightness in his bosom and the tears on his lapel Tell a tale sadness we should all remember And welcome back. You're tuned to A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. Today we're talking about the Battle of Gettysburg. It's been 150 years since that fantastic battle and very devastating battle. Hans, maybe you could help us understand where we are at this point in time in the war. 
between the states or the Civil War and help us understand the casualties and, and all of that? Yeah, well, basically, we're now into the third campaign season, the third summer of the war. It had begun back in 1861. Uh, it's now 1863. Uh, and it has become a much larger conflict than anyone imagined at mm-hmm. the beginning. Uh, it has become a much more devastating conflict than anyone had imagined. Um, and really, you see on both sides a, a couple of consequences or reactions to that. One is that you see growing calls on both sides to completely annihilate the enemy. Uh, and But also what you begin to see in 1863, interestingly, among the men, among the soldiers in both the Union and Confederate armies, is the beginning of outbreaks of some pretty significant religious revivals, uh, mm-hmm. where uh, you know, I mean, there's the old mm-hmm. saying that there's no atheist in a foxhole. But yeah. the the worse the carnage gets, and the more serious the conflict becomes, it seems the more the men doing the fighting began to consider mm-hmm. what might happen if they fell. Now, this, this I'm going to interrupt you there because uh, a question I've been dying to ask was, what was the spiritual condition in the days of the S- Civil War? And you've you started to touch on it here. In response to the carnage, God moves on man's heart, and he starts to respond to the gospel in, in revival. How about coming up to the Civil War? What was it like here in the United States? I would say that uh, it probably was, I wouldn't say the opposite of it, but it wasn't. Uh, th- there was some going on. That we had yeah. Second Great Awakening. Um, but Second Great Awakening was much different than the First Great Awakening. Right. You had diversity. You had a a lot of different crazy movements going and on. And what was the time frame of the Second Great Awakening? Oh, early eighteen hundreds. So you've got eighteen twenties, eighteen thirties, forty years before yeah. the beginnings of hostilities or so. In addition to that, what you have is you have a lot of falling away. You have Mm. The rise of transcendentalism in New England. You have a lot of bad theology going on. Let, let me put it that way. <laughs> yeah, just, right. just plain bad theology. Now we're sitting around here. Uh, Hans and I have coffee, and it's a and it's a and it's a standing joke here in the Olmendorf household that coffee makes you a better theologian. And Mark, you never have coffee. I don't know how you get away with it because <laughs> <laughs> you have good theology. That's right. Yeah. Now, now Hans, what about? Um, you brought this up. Um, it, it sounds like God is moving in revival um, mm-hmm. and using the proximate means of this terrible, devastating war. Tell us a little bit more about the devastation uh, involved. Well, yeah, the, the war has gone on, as we said now, two years uh, plus, and uh, the, the, the casualties you've got already, you know, a couple hundred thousand people have died uh, on both sides. Mm-hmm. Altogether in this war, over 630,000 men would die. That's combined. That is so casual. big. Yeah, I've that's heard it more before. than all other U.S. wars combined, and uh, and so it, it's it's gone on. Now the position: the longer this war goes on, uh, the worse the position of the South gets. Uh, they started off at a significant disadvantage in terms of population, in terms of industrial production, even in terms of agricultural production. Um, which might sound odd at first, but remember that most yeah. of what the South produced agriculturally was not food you could eat. Right. Um, Mm-hmm. And uh, right. what was it? Cotton, cotton, tobacco, right. maybe tobacco, yeah. and and, and yeah. uh, things like that. So, huh. and and the longer the war goes on, the worse it gets. Uh, the bigger wow. the the um, gap between what's available to the Union Army, what's available to the Confederate Army, grows and grows. 
The Confederacy is shrinking as they lose more and more territory. By the spring of 63, most of the Mississippi River Valley is in Union hands, uh, and Vicksburg is under siege, and in fact will fall on July 4th. Vicksburg will surrender July the last 4th. Confederate stronghold right. on the Mississippi, the same, or one day after the, the battle at Gettysburg ends. Isn't that curious? So it's increasingly getting desperate for the South. And Lee takes a chance. Uh, Lee is a, of course, probably the the most brilliant commander on either side in the war, but he's something of a riverboat gambler. Uh, And Mm -hmm. he had become convinced by this time that his army of Northern Virginia was pretty invincible Mm -hmm. uh, after Mm -hmm. a series of victories, and particularly the the rout of Union forces at Chancellorsville back in May. And so he decides we need to invade the North, we need to turn the tables here, and he's hoping that a major victory on Northern soil would either convince the North to give up and and negotiate a peace settlement, or maybe even bring Britain or France into this conflict uh, as an ally. Uh, And so he's taking a calculated risk here by invading Pennsylvania. Okay. Uh, And that's what leads to the battle at Gettysburg. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So... What about those revivals, Mark? I mean, um, did what good came out of that? Well, obviously, the the, the spiritual good that came out of that was uh, for the mm. uh, the individual soldiers who uh, recognized that mm. they could meet their creator at any time. Yes. And the funny part about that always is, yeah, you think about that in war, but the fact of the matter is, it's the same for us at any time. True. Oh, that is such a good point. And and the older we get, the more funerals we attend. That's right. That's right. And uh, life can be cut short so quickly. Yes. Uh, it just is one of those things where you have to recognize that mm. uh, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. I, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, since us three men met together last time doing a recording, and it seems like it's been a long time. Um, we've had some dear folks in our own church uh, mm-hmm. pass away, and possibly in 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 the church that you attend, Hans. Um, this okay. uh, this life is very uncertain. One thing that is certain it's a, said as a tease is death and taxes. Well, you know, uh, this death is a very serious thing. Right. We we face eternity. And of course, the other thing is, how do you best live your life mm-hmm. on Earth? Again. Uh, when we fear death, then we start thinking about that. But one of the things we always ought to be thinking about is how do we best live our life here and now? Oh, that's a great question. To right. to God's honor and glory. Yeah. And and you see this in some of the, the generals, some of the leaders on both sides. Um, of course, Stonewall Jackson is known for his great faith, uh, Robert E. Lee, mm-hmm. um, both known for them, but yeah, at, at Gettysburg, you had men like Joshua Chamberlain mm-hmm. of uh, the Maine, mm-hmm. and you have an, a number of people who really stood for their faith in Christ. Was he the man in that film Gettysburg that right. uh, was yes. uh, being attacked? And it was yeah. quite a scene there, right? Twentieth uh, Maine holding little round yeah. top against well, the fifteenth Alabama. It's, it's, yeah. yeah, one it's, of the it's, key it's, points it's, on the second yeah. day of the battle. Yeah. yeah, and it was. It was a very, wow. very crucial time, a very crucial point in the And, in and the his, he was fighting there with his brother, and he says, uh, put some distance between us, you know, and the words to the effect that my mother couldn't take both of us yeah. dying. Well, and it's an important thing to remember, too, when, when we talk about the Civil War in general in, in this battle. 
you know, we're not talking about a modern professional army mm-hmm. on either side. Mm-hmm. Right? We're talking about, for the most part, volunteers, people who learned how to be a soldier by literally on-the-job training in battle. Um, you know, Joshua Chamberlain is a minister, a classics professor at Bowdoin. <laughs> he has no military experience. Yeah. You know, the men he leads are farmers and fishermen, and, and, and the same is true on the other side. Yes. Uh, these are people who right. are fighting, you know, for what they believe is right. And it's not, and, and that's not to say that isn't true of, of modern mm-hmm. soldiers, of course, either, but it's it's a different. Yeah. It's a very different ethos than the modern U.S. Yeah, and one of the things that's very interesting about Joshua Chamberlain is when the 20th Maine was formed, Joshua Chamberlain was offered the command of it, and he refused it mm. because he said, I'm not a military man. I don't know it. He, he always <laughs> he demonstrated it. tremendous humility, and because of that, he said, I want to serve under someone until I learn mm-hmm. how to be a good commander. And uh, he, he was. He was at Appomattox. He was the one who took the arms of those at, at, at Appomattox. Yes. And when he did so, he did so with the utmost respect for the, the Confederacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the man on the Confederacy side, Gordon was his last name, mm-hmm. and he, laying down his arms, he says, I've never seen such great respect. And in turn... The Confederates demonstrated great respect in mm-hmm. return. Mm-hmm. Very different kind of yeah. uh, end to the war than a lot of people had expected. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, one of the things at, at that second day at Little Round Top is uh, demonstrating Chamberlain's lack of military training. He's not a West Pointer. Uh, when the 20th Maine runs out of ammunition, oh, yeah. they should have retired from the field. Instead, Chamberlain orders fixed bayonets and charge. Charge. Yeah. Now, it works, but <laughs> afterwards, you know, uh, they asked him, well, how did you know to do that? And Chamberlain's response was, I didn't know I couldn't. <laughs> That's right. It, and, it, and it was. And the way they swung down the, the hill is it was like a door closing, and they kind of got right. the, the angle on the Confederates and pushed them down. It worked, it worked uh-huh. beautifully. I do remember the scene in the movie, uh, one of the other guys under Chamberlain was shocked. I mean, he was just shocked that they were going to... Fix bayonets. He, he could hardly get the word out of his mouth. Right. You know, it, it struck fear in his belly. Mm. I can imagine. Well, uh, today we're talking about the Battle of Gettysburg. It's been 150 years since that very decisive and important battle on American soil. By the end of the war, over 600,000 men will have died. Uh, these are brothers, husbands. Some of them ministers, um, mm-hmm. just a, a terrible blow to the United States of America. And um, it, it's a good reminder. Um, you know, sometimes we get worked up about an issue, and we get so worked up that we say, I want to fight about this. Well, fighting is not always the best answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes there is a fight that's needed. I'm not saying it's it's not um, acceptable in, a, let's say, a just war situation. But um, a lot of things can happen when we get engaged in a fight, even if it's just a verbal fight. Yeah, and I think maybe the flip side of that is you mentioned sometimes it is worth fighting. And mm-hmm. what is... What is worth standing up for? You know, now that's, that's another good point. And yeah, that's, uh, I was just 
uh, in preparation for this, I'd been a while since I'd watched Gettysburg, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure how authentic this was, yeah. but it gave Chamberlain's speech to a number of the men who were ready to head up and pack and go mm-hmm. home. And that always occurred in both the American Revolution and the Civil War. Mm-hmm. And his speech was beautiful, talking about, well, the reason we're here is because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that's mm-hmm. uh, sometimes you, you, you look and you say, what's more important than my comfort? Yes. You know, and, and yes. the right thing to do is more important than my comfort. Mm-hmm. In other words, uh, you have a sense of freedom and what's right and what's wrong. And even though it's out of your comfort zone, you pursue what's right. Yeah. Um, well, we're almost out of time today. I'm just thinking about some close-up thoughts here, um, something of um, philosophical um, touch maybe. Uh, I'm looking at Hans vote now. Well, what makes the uh, battle the turning point, we talked about being the turning point in the war, is, uh, of course, the Union wins. I don't know if we said that before, but the Union wins Yes, now. yes. Uh, and it'll be the last yeah. time, you know, southern soldiers are on northern soil. Uh, oh, but, yes. but coupled with the surrender of Vicksburg, it really is the beginning of the end. Mm. Uh, not the end. I mean, there will still be another year and a half of very bloody, awful fighting to go on before the surrender. Uh, but from that point on, it becomes increasingly difficult to see how the South can can win the conflict. Right. Uh, and so, um, you know, it's it's you know famously called the high water mark of the Confederacy. Yeah. Um, mm. And for a good reason. Mm. But, you know, you look over that field today, and, and you go there, and you see the monuments, and you see the cannon in, in place. And some of them are the actual cannon from the battle. Mm. Most of them aren't. Um, but you go back to that passage I read from Bruce Catton at the beginning. Um, it's, it's beautiful. I mean, everybody, I think, should go and see it. Uh, it's well worth the trip. But again, remember that what you see is somewhat misleading, and you need to yes. really think about what actually took place there. And, you know, I think nobody captured it any better than Lincoln did in that two-minute speech he made in November of 1863, uh, you know, in the Gettysburg Address. Yes, yes, good point. Well, thank you, gentlemen. It's uh, been enjoyable um, exploring some of these facets of the Battle of Gettysburg. A uh, quick reminder that uh, this episode is up on our website if you'd like to listen to it again. As a podcast, check it out. We're at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. And today our guests have been the Reverend Mark Diedrich and Dr. Hans Vogt. And I want to thank you both for uh, joining me for an excellent discussion. For Redeemer Broadcasting, I'm Dan Elmendorf. Quick reminder, join us next week at the same time for another edition of A Plain Answer. <laughs>